kind of a sick school is this? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Stand up to my little friend. I love to celebrate come in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A Daniel Man! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a home. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off! Go to the coast, we get together, have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey! I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Then Is Now podcast. Uh, we apologize for there being a delay since the last episode. We've had a few technical issues here and all kinds of COVID stuff going on. So as you can imagine, things have finally calmed down around here. Um, today's episode is going to be a new format, a special um, kind of a format that we're going to try out here, or I'm going to try out, and uh, we're going to try and put these out on a weekly basis. And basically what happened was uh, I just went outside one day and it was really nice and warm. There was a breeze in the air. The leaves were changing. I knew fall was upon us and that really made me nostalgic. And that's kind of sort of why I created this show to begin with. When my kids were born, I may have said this before on the program, I felt the need to bring them up to speed on all the cool stuff they missed out on. And that's where this show comes from because I want to share all this cool stuff that people should know. There are just certain things that you should know about. I always use, my go-to is always, people should know who Fonzie is. You don't necessarily have to have watched the entire series of the show Happy Days from the uh, 70s and 80s, but Fonzie is so iconic in our culture. How can you not know who that is? And a lot of cool things are kind of getting forgotten or thrown by the wayside because we're just so inundated these days with streaming. I mean, you can get any TV show or movie you want now. It's not like the olden days where we only had a handful of channels and something I'm going to talk about a little later in this show. But we're trying to present to you these cool things that you may or may not remember. And we want you to share them with your loved ones, especially your kids, your grandkids, nieces and nephews, whoever is a young person in your life. It's not only great to expose them to these cool things that we used to do and see and watch and read and all that stuff, but also to get their take on things. So um, we've got a new format today. We're going to try it out. It'll be a little segmented. And uh, let's move forward. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shop class. Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shop class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut glasses. Good, sign this. 
I'm he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. We lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go play and have fun now. Okay, so since this is the month of October, we um, our focus will kind of be on horror, horror movies, and horror, all kinds of horror things, but not necessarily limited to that. But it is a um, Halloween is a very important holiday in my household. I, in, it's in my blood, and um, you know I've done things from hosting movies as a character named Uncle Death. And uh, gone to horror conventions, set up booths there, selling merchandise and stuff, and decorating the house to the nines for Halloween. It's it's an incredible institution, and it's no longer a holiday for children. A lot of adults love it. I mean, I used to make my own costumes for Halloween. Every year, I haven't been able to do it lately, just been too busy, but growing up, I always made my own costumes long before the term cosplay came along. And, uh, you know, I've done everything from Hellboy to Ghostbusters back when I was 17. Uh, you know, Hellboy was a little more recent than that, but the point is, October is such a great month, and Halloween is just a great holiday. And it's another thing that you can share with your kids. Not only sit down all month, show them all the classic universal horror movies, work your way up to the Hammer films, throw in some Godzilla. And there are some modern horror movies that are very good, too. Now, uh, I'm not going to go into the classic stuff that I believe uh, is good for kids, in terms of the Universals and the Hammer films that I mentioned. However, um, I will cover those on another episode. But right now, as it's October, fresh 2020, COVID is going on. I'm going to recommend a good movie for the adults. I really don't think this one is for the kids. It's a, um, it's a brand new movie. Well, not brand new. It came out in 2019. And it's called The Color Out of Space. It is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story and directed by Richard Stanley, who's sort of had a checkered career. I think this was sort of a comeback for film for him, and it was very well done, very well directed. The, the cinematography is great in it. It stars Nicolas Cage, who plays Nathan Gardner, and Jolie Richardson, who plays Teresa Gardner. And you know what's interesting is Nicolas Cage... Um, whenever people talk about him, they go, oh, Nicolas Cage always plays Nicolas Cage in his movies. But in this one, and I'm not going to get into a whole Nicolas Cage monologue here, but in this particular film, he definitely is not playing Nicolas Cage. He's playing a dude who him and his wife have, um, they've taken over his father's farm. I guess the father has passed away and now they've taken over. And um, the wife, played by Jolie Richardson, has uh, it's implied but apparently she's had a double mastectomy so they're kind of getting over that they have a daughter who's sort of a wiccan and she's been trying to cast spells to heal her mother and and to even get her out of the place because to her it's boring she prefers fast food she'd rather be somewhere else um then she's got uh, her name's lavinia and she's got a brother named benny and they have a little kid named jack and to get together, the family is, you know, trying to make the best of things, and they're doing pretty well. Teresa is a stockbroker, so she has a little office in the attic with a little bed. Um, probably if she's working late hours, she can just drop on the bed, take a nap, and then get back up again because she's got to watch the stock market all over the world. And Nicolas Cage's character has purchased recently some alpacas, and he's just obsessed with the alpacas. He thinks alpaca meat is going to be good. He milks them, even though the daughter tries to explain to him that alpacas are used for their fur, not for their meat. So you kind of get a sense of the family and their little dynamic and how things go. And they have a squatter living on their land who doesn't really cause any problem, played by Tommy Chong, and he's very good in this also. A character named uh, Ward Phillips, who is a hydrologist, played by um, who looks like a newcomer named Elliot Knight. 
arrives on the property thinking he's on public land as the town is planning to build a dam pretty close to the, um, the gardener house. In fact, there's a, a point where the mayor basically says to um, Nathan, you know, you should have sold the house to me when you had a chance. So it implies that they want to kind of just build a dam over the whole area. And that's the basic premise of the film. And then what happens is a meteor from outer space crash lands on the gardener's front lawn. Nicolas Cage's character, Nathan, is the only one who can smell, or it seems to be the only one who smells an awful smell coming from it. And it releases this color. And the color just is sort of like this mist. It starts to change the color of the trees and the plants around. Uh, new things start to grow. And it just becomes deadly to this family and does strange and bizarre things. Kind of end of the world, apocalyptic kind of things start to happen to this family. And it's just a good interpretation of Lovecraft's original story, also called The Color Out of Space. And you can see characters fighting for their sanity. And that's where I think Nicolas Cage's Toward to Force in this film was him sort of losing his mind in uh during the events of what happens because of the color now there are a lot of cool little touches from lovecraft's work hp lovecraft was a beloved horror author in the 1920s he created uh, well he wrote a series of horror novels and, and short stories that came to be known as the cthulhu mythos and I, i'll explain that a little bit later but within the books there are several things that pop up in other stories and books including in this film a reference to Miskatonic University, which is prominent in many of his stories, and a book called The Necronomicon. And both of those things make appearances in this film. And it was just really cool to see that the filmmakers knew what they were doing when they put this film together. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. Actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. I mean, it's radioactive. I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. It's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. It's in the static, it's in the moisture. It's in here, it's out there. And what's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite changes everything around it. So if you get a chance to check this movie out, The Color Out of Space from 2019, I highly, highly recommend it. It's it's not a slasher film. Uh, there is some, I don't want to say gore. There are some gruesome scenes in it, but there's no real gore. There's nobody chopping people up or getting thrown into a meat grinder or anything like that. It's different. It's vastly different than almost any horror movie you've probably seen. 
and uh, I, I suggest you check it out because I, I can't even, I'm not even doing the film justice here by talking about it, but check it out. It's available on the Shutter app on Amazon Prime. You can also get it on DVD. I've seen it in Target and Walmart and on Amazon as well. Okay, we're going to move on to toys and um, actually ties in with movies and our horror theme. Now, at the moment, since we've changed formats, I'm not prepared to talk about any old toys right now. Um, But who doesn't love toys? I mean, toys are awesome. If you go to Target, they've got a whole selection and it's not in the toy section. It's actually sort of near, at least the Target that's near me, it's sort of near the DVD and book section, which, by the way, they now sell vinyl records in Target. I don't know how new that is, but I was pleased as punch because I actually just got my living room set up with my record player and I got a new needle for it. And it's just so awesome to spin vinyl and to see them back in the stores. They're kind of expensive. They're upwards of, you know, between 20 and 50 bucks for a new vinyl, but they're really good. In fact, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy on vinyl. Uh, there, the uh, soundtrack, it's got the uh, one record has all of the pop songs that were in the movie, and uh, the second disc, second record, I should say, has uh, the score of the film. So that that's on my, uh, my wish list. I'm going to be getting that at some point soon. But what I did pick up at Target that I think you guys will enjoy, they have these figures. They have, uh, what do you call it, uh, Pennywise the Clown from the new version of It. Basically, like all the Friday the 13th movies and all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, as well as Aliens and a few others, they've got these awesome boxes. I wish you could see this. I'll try and put a a scan of it in the show notes for this episode. But I picked up Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, and it's it's the poster, but the, the cover is like this 3D hologram of Jason on the other side of a... um shower curtain so you only see his silhouette and he's sticking the knife through the shower curtain and there's blood dripping down uh, and it's actually dripping onto the logo uh, where it says Friday the 13th part 3 3D which I saw this in the movies as a kid this movie came out in 1982 and I was 12 years old and I begged my parents to take me to see it and they always kind of took me to horror movies anyways but I was a fan of the Friday the 13th series I mean there was only two at this point You had to see part three, especially in Super 3D, as they advertised it. Friday the 13th, part three in Super 3D. The all-new 3D. Unbelievably clear. Incredibly realistic. Terrifyingly shocking. Friday the 13th, part three in Super 3D. It has to be experienced to be believed. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. Rated R. Friday the 13th, Part 3, now showing at selected theaters and drive-ins. So, I begged my parents to take me to see it. They're like, are you sure you're going to want to see it? It's kind of scary. And I'm like, well, I've seen scary movies before. It's fine. Sitting in the theater, waiting for the movie to start, my mind started to race and go off in different directions, and I was starting to get petrified. I I remember thinking... This is a bad idea. Why did I beg them to take me to see this movie? I'm going to be so scared. Oh, my God. And you know what? It's probably my favorite of the Friday the 13th. I think parts 3 and 6 for me would be a close tie. And if you haven't watched the Friday the 13th movies, you don't know what you're missing. They're so much fun. I mean, it's a lot of suspension of disbelief. And, you know, Jason gets killed in every movie and comes back and stuff. But this, if you open up the... the front cover of the box that I told you was in 3D, and of course at the top it says A New Dimension in Terror because it's the third dimension. It's the, uh, I believe it was Richard Brooks, or Brooker, who played Jason in this, and it's him from the movie with the green jacket and gray pants and the hockey mask, which this is actually, this movie is the first appearance of the famous, or the now famous, Jason hockey mask. He actually, um, there's a character who's a sort of a practical joking nerd, 
and he has this hockey mask on to try and scare people. And then after Jason kills him, of course, he takes the mask and that becomes his iconic mask. And um, the figure inside is just awesome. It's got a wrench, uh, a bloody butcher knife, a uh, pitchfork, uh, another, uh, I think it's a poker from the fireplace, a machete, an axe with blood on it. Oh, and the spear gun. So basically... Most, if not all, of the weapons he used to kill people when it wasn't his bare hands in the movie. And then the back cover has the cool different poses you can put Jason in. On the back it says, An idyllic summer turns into a nightmare of unspeakable horror for yet another group of naive co-eds. Ignoring Camp Crystal Lake's bloody legacy, one by one they fall victim to the maniacal Jason who stalks them at every turn. It's put out by... Let's see. On the side of the box here, there's two logos. One says NECA, N-E-C-A. And underneath it, it says Real Toys, R-E-E-L, Toys. Um, so I highly recommend these. And this is this does tie in. You know, we're, we're all about pop culture of the past and how it relates to the present. And I think this definitely does because this struck a chord with me. when I, I just happened to be wandering by. I wasn't even in Target looking for these. And when I came across it, I was shocked, and I, I had to grab it. They had a few others. They have um, uh, they have a Jason versus Freddy, Jason, and then they have um, the Jason from Part 5, which actually the figure looks cool because it comes with a bunch of different heads and masks. Um, but Part 5 is sort of my least favorite of the Friday the 13th movies, so that's going to be low on my list, which is kind of too bad because it's a really nice figure, but they are 30 bucks a whack. So if you can spare the cash and you're a collector of these things, then it's well worth it. And also, you should check out the Friday the 13th movies for Halloween month. I'm just going to call it, instead of October, I'm just going to call it Halloween. Or maybe Hallotober. I don't know. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that should be on your list. So Colorado Space is a great movie and a Friday the 13th Part 3. But we were talking about toys and the Jason toy is almost as good as having Jason in your house. Although that's... Probably not a good thing, I would say. Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive. Friday the 13th, part 3 in 3D. Jason, you can't fight him. Stop him. And now, you can't even keep him on the screen. Friday, the 13th, part 3 in 3D. Now, when it comes to killing in Jason's woods, Jason will come to you. Friday, the 13th, part 3 in 3D. A new dimension in terror. It will scare you. Count on it. Okay, moving on. As many of you may or may not know, I am a collector of things. And one of the things that I am very passionate about collecting is TV guides. Now, for me, it's specifically, I try to get ones from the Boston area because that's where I grew up. And I love to be able to go back and look at, you know, stuff that I remembered. Like, specifically, when I was a kid on, there was a Sunday. I had to be like five or six years old. And my parents were in the living room. And they fell asleep, and we were watching Bride of Frankenstein. And I will never forget trying to wake my dad up, telling him how scared I was. And, of course, he would not wake up. 
And I just remember the whole, we belong dead at the end of the movie. And the Frankenstein monster pulls the lever and the castle is destroyed. And that really scared the crap out of me as a little kid. And I actually found that in a TV guide. And once I found that, I felt justified in continuing my uh, acquisition of old TV guides. Now, you probably are familiar with the new TV guide. It's um, it's a magazine format. You may not know that it was never that size um, and never that skimpy. I don't like the new format of TV, TV guide. I like the old format because they were small, digest size. Uh, the early, like the 60s and 70s ones, they were real thin. And then there are some that are real thick. And um, it's just, it's got your local TV channels. Even gets to the point where uh, there's cable. They have cable channels listed in like um, when cable became prominent, sort of, I guess, the late 80s into the 90s. Um, but the cool thing about the old TV guides is that you can take them and go, oh, I was flipping channels the other day and I saw this movie. What the heck was that? Well, you can go back and look at 2 a.m. on whatever given day. And it'll tell you. It'll say what's there. They had all kinds of great articles in there, too, and discussions about TV. And it was just, if, if you loved TV, especially back then when the TV shows were so good, uh, and we only had a handful of choices. We didn't have what we have today. We don't have 500 channels. We only had, you know, depending on where you were, you could have anywhere from 3 to maybe 12 channels. If, if you could get channels from nearby states or that were further away from your you know your local channels if you could get them in clear because you had to fiddle with the antenna because that's how tv was broadcast up until not too long ago it was broadcast over two different frequencies uhf which is ultra high frequency and that, that would be higher numbers like channel 25 38 56 and then the lower numbers which would be channel 2 to i think 12 that was vhs VHF that was very high frequency and it's sort of like the difference between AM and FM AM radio uh, the AM signal can go further than anything else but it's less quality the FM signal is a much better quality but it can't go as far as AM and I believe UHF and VHF were kind of the same way in that UHF could go pretty far so you could get in obscure channels you know if you fiddle with the antenna enough but your clearer channels would be in the lower numbers between 2 and 12. And even then, in where I grew up in the Boston area, once you got past channel 7, um, it was hard to get in. Some of the other channels, uh, you, again, really messing with the antenna. But anyways, you know, if I could go back in time, uh, besides going to, you know, to see awesome movies in the theater when they first came out that I missed, I'd also go and tell myself to, dude, hang on to those TV guides. Because I didn't really start collecting them until it was like the late 80s early 90s and uh, I have been trying to buy them trying to you know find what I can uh, not a lot are left I think people just threw them away afterwards yeah so I, I would just tell myself hang on to those TV guides because it's like to me it's gold this week TV guide looks at a local station that's giving the public airwaves back to the public interesting reading TV guide so we're going to kind of look at not this day in history, because depending on when you're listening to this, so the recording of, of this episode is October 2nd of 2020, the infamous COVID year. And so what I did was I pulled um, my TV guides are kind of not as organized as I would like them to be. They're kind of in a whole bunch of different boxes and stuff. But I managed to grab one box and I randomly pulled out a couple different TV guides. One was uh, fall issue and i'm going to try to be brief here i'm not going to just sit here and read out of the tv guide to you at first there was nothing and then there was tv no but what i am going to do is i pulled two out and i'm going to just going to talk about stuff in different years that was on um in october and actually i'm going to take a step back and just kind of see and let you guys know what was on tv i have the fall september preview issue it's from september 6th to the 12th in 1975 there was a lot of cool stuff i mean on saturday morning alone and th that's going to be a topic for another show saturday morning cartoons because today they used to be special saturday morning was a special time when you'd get up early grab a bowl of cereal and sit in front of the tv and literally just watch cartoons and maybe some live action shows right through to noontime and for me personally, it was in, it was waiting then to get to Creature Double Feature, which was on Channel 56 in the afternoons. So this TV guide is from the... Oh, this is the Eastern 
New England edition, so it has all the channels I grew up with. And I'm going to have some scans here. Now, if you haven't checked it out, go to, uh, in the show notes, I'll put the link in. It's also linked to our webpage, which is havenpodcasts.com. And we have a retro TV guide scans page on Facebook. And what I do is I, I randomly just take scans in, depending on what I feel like, or if I find an interesting ad or article and I'll scan them in and and then what I'm reading to you today I'm going to scan these in and I'll post them on the retro tv guide page and then you can um you can check them out like uh they've got this awesome CBS Saturday ad it's a full page ad for the CBS stations the local ones and they have this starts at eight in the morning with Pebbles and Bam Bam and then Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour at 8 30 then at 9 30 is Scooby-Doo Where Are You then at 10 o'clock, it's the live-action Shazam and Isis Hour. Then at 11 is the Fire Out Space Nuts, which was also a live-action show. Uh, 11.30 was the Ghostbusters. That's two separate words. Not like uh, It's not the Ghostbusters that you know with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. This was previous incarnation called the Ghostbusters, and it had a gorilla in it. I believe it was a cartoon based on an old live-action TV show. Then at noon, they had Valley of the Dinosaurs, which was always a fun show. And then at 12.30 was Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. Moving on to NBC. See, what happened was in the fall, you'd get a show on, like, say, a Friday night on a network. And it would they would tell you, or they would preview all the brand new cartoons that were coming on starting the next day on Saturday morning. I think they would stagger them, too. So some of the networks would do it one week, and then some of the networks would do it the next week. That way they weren't all competing all at once. And so, for example, on NBC, they've got a full-page ad with Emergency Plus Four at 8 o'clock. I don't know what that one is. Join the team for new rescues and thrills with paramedics Gage and DeSoto. Oh, that's, um, I think that was an animated version of the live-action TV series uh, Emergency. Then we had Sigmund and the Sea Monsters at 8.30. 9 o'clock was new, The Secret Lives of Waldo Kitty. A timid kitten scores exciting triumphs as a superhero in his daydreams. That's another one I don't actually remember. But I do remember 9.30, they had the Pink Panther. And then, of course, at 10 a.m. was Land of the Lost, about the father and two kids that end up in a world of dinosaurs. That was an awesome show. We're going to do a show on that one someday. At 11 o'clock was the new Return to the Planet of the Apes animated series. And uh, 11.30 was West Wind. It looks like a live-action show about uh, a family sailing the seas of Hawaii. And then at 12 was Josie and the Pussycats. And this it's just so fun to go back and look at these because now you can get you have cartoon channels all over the place. You can get cartoons, you know, morning, noon and night, and middle of the night you can watch cartoons. Just, they're not special anymore. They may be good, but they're not it's it's not as sacred as Saturday mornings used to be. Now for this particular September sixth, Saturday of nineteen seventy five, on Creature Double Feature in Boston we had Voyage to a Prehistoric Planet at one o'clock. And then at 2.30 was Voyage to the Planet of the Prehistoric Women. Both pretty cool B-movies from the 60s. And so let's just take a quick stroll through here to see some of the new shows that were premiering. In the week of September 6th to the 12th of 1975, you had Howard Cosell, the famous Howard Cosell. He was a sports announcer and he was guest starring on Saturday Night Live's season premiere. A show called Doc which I've never heard of, so we'll skip that one. They had a show called Matt Helm, which if you're familiar with the um, Dean Martin movies where he played a spy named Matt Helm, apparently it was um, pretty much just like it. It it was, as they say, dangerous assignments and beautiful women make up the larger-than-life world of one of the screen's most flamboyant and exciting detectives. Tony Franciosa is television's Helm. Which I don't think it lasted very long. Another, it was a family show that didn't last at all. We had another show called Bronk with Jack Palance. That didn't last long. There was a show about the Swiss family Robinson. Not the Swiss cheese family Robinson, just the Swiss family Robinson. It's sort of um, what Lost in Space was based on. It's the Robinson family and their pilot or whatever. Their, um, he was like the, the pilot of the boat that they were on back in the 1700s. And they get stranded somewhere. And so there wasn't a lot on here. Uh, McCoy with Tony Curtis, who was a huge star at that point, movie star, moved his way to TV. And so while the cartoons were awesome, the TV shows uh, weren't all that great. Now let's see, move up a little bit here. 
into October, since that's what we're talking about today. Like I said, there was a Saturday mornings had not just cartoons, but you had live action shows too. There were so many cool shows on back then that you could just choose from. They had, of course, Harlem Globetrotters, Popcorn Machine, Pebbles and Bam Bam, Tom and Jerry Grape Ape Show, Bugs Bunny Roadrunner, Scooby-Doo, Pink Panther, Land of the Lost, uh, pretty much all the stuff that had, um, that had premiered before. So this particular TV guide that I'm looking at now is from October 4th to the 10th, but it is the Western New England edition. So they did not get, or at least they didn't list Channel 56, which showed Creature Double Feature here. However, fear not, because some of their channels did show science fiction and horror movies at three o'clock on channel 10 was wild wild planet uh, a really fun italian sci-fi movie and then at 3 30 on channel 5 which was a boston channel that they could get out in western new england it was called black friday from 1940 boris karloff has another gruesome field day as a nefarious doctor who transplants a brain from one head to another it's also got bella lugosi in it and it's a really if you haven't seen Black Friday, that's a, a fun classic horror movie, safe for the family. It's it's creepy and uh, weird. And if you continue to move through, say, let's say, Saturday, you had all different kinds of choices. You could watch sports. You could watch wrestling. Uh, Hee Haw was on. And um, UFO. Uh, I noticed uh, quite a few UFO uh, placings around the clock on uh, various channels. If you remember that show, that was a fun Jerry Anderson live-action show. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those Super Mario Nation shows. Uh, and, of course, at 7 o'clock on Saturday, which ran for 30 years, is the Lawrence Welk show. And that, to me, I still watch that to this day. It's on our local PBS station every Saturday night at 6. And uh, I'm going to do a show on Lawrence Welk. I think he's just a, a fantastic person. Just as a human being, he's just a great guy. I believe he, he escaped from Poland during the war with his family and got them safely to America. And then he created a, a, a safe haven for young people who were musicians and singers and dancers to all get together and just put on cool shows every week. And granted, a lot of the music you might find today is cheesy, but if you remember the Lawrence Welk show uh, from watching it as a kid, or actually maybe your parents and grandparents watched it, Throw it on in the background sometimes when you're making dinner on a Saturday night. It's it's real fun. And it really then is truly now when you listen to Lawrence Welk and see the just the gaudy costumes that they used to wear. And you hear the music. And the music is well done. I mean, they were top-notch performers, whether it was you know, just a band playing. And, and I'm talking big band, not like rock and roll band. Or the, the dancers, the tap dancers, Sissy and Bobby were there. And a lot of the people who were on the Lawrence Welk show host these shows on PBS. And they sort of give you a little bit of background information on what went on with the particular show that they're going to they're gonna show you. Or they'll interview other people who were on the show back in the day. So that's a fun thing to do. And then, let's see, uh, Saturday night at 1 a.m. or early Sunday, if you will, they had... On Channel 4 was Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed, the classic hammer take on the Wolfman story. That would be something that I probably would have circled in the TV guide and then stayed up till 1 in the morning to watch it, only to fall asleep probably half an hour, 45 minutes into it. But that's still, that that's what made things cool is when, when TV was scheduled in such a way that you could look forward to something. Because you got to remember, back then, we didn't have any way of recording things we couldn't download movies and tv shows we couldn't buy them they weren't there was no such thing as videotape or dvds you if you missed it you missed it like i remember one time i saw in the tv guide there was a, a jerry lewis movie that i liked i wanted to see it was called i forget the title i think it was visit to a strange planet and it, it was just jerry lewis was this alien coming to earth fish out of water kind of story and i remember my mother yelling out the window to me it's two o'clock your movie's on and i'd run in the house and go watch it so um just looking through the week again i'm not going to read to you the whole tv guide but i'm going to give you a list of a lot of the shows that you actually can still catch today on things like me tv and uh, tv land and charge There's, there are quite a few channels that do show the older shows and you know share them with your family if you remember them you know, if you don't remember them and you discover a show that was on when you were a kid that maybe might have been a little too grown up for you, watch it now. Like Emergency or Chips, those are fun shows to revisit. Knight Rider, 
but in this particular week, uh, the week of October 4th to the 10th in 1975, the popular shows were Emergency, as I mentioned, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, Carol Burnett, The Six Million Dollar Man, of course, Kojak. There was a short-lived Invisible Man show with David McCallum, who you may remember as Ilya Kuryakin in Man From U.N.C.L.E. He played the Invisible Man, which I don't think that lasted more than a season. The Waltons was on for quite a bit, uh, quite a few years, I should say. Bonnie Miller, Sanford and Son, Chico and the Man, Streets of San Francisco. There was a lot of, of fun things on back then. And one cool thing about the old TV guides that they don't really have in the modern version are ads for the shows or movies that they were going to play, especially if it was if it was something that was out of the ordinary. Or, like, for, for example, here, and I'll have this one scanned in as well, was the television premiere on Thursday, October 9th of 1975 at 9 o'clock p.m. on CBS, a movie called Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid from 1973, offers director Sam Peckinpah's violent account of notorious outlaw William H. Bonney and the ex-saddle pal who shot him down. The picture was filmed near Durango, Mexico. And it starred James Coburn uh, as Pat Garrett, Chris Christopherson as Billy the Kid, and also had a great cast, uh, Rita Coolidge, Slim Pickens, Richard Jekyll, Jason Robards. There's a little ad for it, too. The West's most exciting showdown. Outlaws, I'm sorry, Outlaw turns lawman. His job, bring the kid in, dead or alive, on the CBS Thursday night movies. See, you didn't have cable channels that played movies. You got your movies on the regular networks, the big three networks. You had ABC, NBC, and CBS. And then there was another one I thought was interesting. I don't want to bore you people, but this just caught my eye. I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it, but it caught my eye because it was really young Martin Sheen, whom you may nowadays you probably recognize him from the West Wing, but he was in tons of movies like Apocalypse Now. And I guess this must have been a TV movie before he became a superstar. And it also co-starred Linda Blair, who also played the little girl Reagan in the movie The Exorcist. Again, another Halloween movie that you really should see, but don't let the kids watch it. It's pretty, it's widely considered to be the, uh, a widely regarded as the uh, scariest movie of all time. So the, the there's a two page, well, there's an ad on one page, and then the uh, TV guide used to do a thing called Close Up, where they'd tell you all about the film, uh, or at least not all about it, but they'd give you a brief synopsis. And it was a little bit, it was spotlighted much more than just the regular listing. This was like a special close up thing. When he captured a girl, he unleashed a woman. At first, she was too frightened to feel anything but fear. And the movie is called Sweet Hostage. Sounds pretty horrible, actually. <laughs> it sounds like something I probably don't want to watch. But in the close-up, here is the description. Sweet Hostage. An unusual and sensitive drama, Martin Sheen plays a fugitive from a mental hospital who speaks in rhymes from Coleridge, fancies himself to be Kubla Khan, and imagines that his tumble-down New Mexico hideaway is, quote, a stately pleasure dome in Xanadu, close quote. Linda Blair plays his kidnapped captive, an ill-educated teenage tomboy. At first instinctively fearful of her captor's strange ways, she comes to fall under the spell of his fascinating mind and fantasy world, finding there the spark that unleashes her own unexplored imagination. This 1975 movie was based on Nathaniel Benchley's novel, Welcome to Xanadu. Eh, something that probably didn't last, but it just sounded interesting. I just thought it was cool, and it was just sort of an example. Again, if you go to our Retro TV Guides uh, scans page on Facebook, I'll have all these scanned in for you, and we'll tie them in with today's episode. Her co-stars refuse to be in the same room with her, and she goes to the set accompanied by bodyguards. Learn what's behind the feud between Suzanne Somers and the producers of Three's Company in the new issue of TV Guide magazine. All right, now I'm going to talk a little bit about role-playing games. Um, Dungeons & Dragons is, of course, hugely popular to this day. Started in the mid-70s and uh, was never one of my favorite games, but I did play it here and there. And I recently played in an adventure where, you know, it was this character who was really strong. And it was really fun and it was cool. And it actually got my, my role-playing brain kicking. Again, I haven't role-played in years and I forgot how much I enjoyed it. And I, one thing I love to do is to game master a game. In particular, while we've played, well, my friends and I have played several games over the years, 
the one that I love the most, and again, it ties in with Hallotober here, uh, it's called Call of Cthulhu, which is based on H.P. Lovecraft's mythology called the Cthulhu Mythos. Basically, as I mentioned with The Color Out of Space, that was also a Lovecraft story. H.P. Lovecraft was a horror author in the 20s and 30s, and he wrote several novels and short stories that all sort of had similar aspects to them or there would be things like um, uh, occult books that would show up in different novels like but the same book would be there or these creatures that they encountered and the most powerful of the creatures of these old ones that wanted to come back to this world and take it back over was Cthulhu and the whole point of Lovecraft stories was that every time you saw one of these creatures or you you basically you un, unearthed secrets of the universe, you would slowly start to go insane. And so sanity is a huge part of the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Now, what I did was I went and bought the newest edition, the seventh edition of Call of Cthulhu, which sort of harkens back to the original gameplay. Um, if you know anything about role-playing game, it's all dice-based. You have a character sheet that has your stats, for example, your strength, your stamina, your dexterity, your intelligence, that sort of thing. And then you have skills. And you play an investigator in the 1920s, and the game master puts you up against cultists, evil cults, insane cultists, and the monsters from the Cthulhu mythos, as well as you can play uh, against other monsters, too. I will put... Um, you know, I've had characters in the past. I've played, she's probably since the mid-1980s, I've played Call of Cthulhu with a group of friends. And um, over the years, I actually have built up a whole storyline that someday I'm going to turn into a, um, a TV show or a movie or something. But it's basically about these supernatural investigators in the 1920s. So I got a new group in, and... They're really enjoying it. They're having fun. Um, you know, you have you have to make sanity checks if you see dead bodies or if you encounter these monsters. And if you completely lose all your sanity points, your character is dead. You have to roll up a new one. Um, so role-playing games is something that I'm going to talk about more. So I, a lot of these things that I'm talking about here today, I'm just sort of uh, touching the tip of the iceberg. Is I want to just get this stuff out there. I want you people to... I want some feedback, too. Because... For example, role-playing games is a whole genre unto itself. It's not like a board game. It's, like I said, you have a sheet that has all your statistics on it, your skills, your weapon skills, and while you're role-playing and you're this character, and yes, you know, you decide what to do, the dice rolls decide whether or not your skill succeeds, whether or not you're able to shoot the monster or find the information that you're looking for at the library or anything else and again i'll i'll do a whole show on role-playing games because i th really think it's not only fun but fascinating too and if you haven't been exposed to role-playing games i highly recommend it and seek out people to play with um in fact i think a lot of comic stores i don't know how it is these days because of covid but uh up until recently a lot of comic book stores would have sessions of role-playing games and you could sign up and you join in and you could just meet a whole bunch of new friends and you sit down at the table and you create your character and you jump into an adventure and usually it takes you know three or four hours out of your evening and it's it's super fun i know there are people that kind of look down on it and oh D, &D is stupid well you know what uh, i think sports is stupid so you know what i mean i mean that's just sort of my my go-to response so check it out another cool Halloween, October, Hallotober thing. It's the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. And if you haven't, even if you don't want to play the game, but you sound, you know, you're a little intrigued by this whole Cthulhu mythos and, and Lovecraft, I highly recommend seeking out all of the works of H.P. Lovecraft. They're, I don't want to say they're hard to read. He just uses a lot of words, a lot of big words and obscure words and so sometimes I've had people tell me yeah I, I've read his books but I had to have a dictionary next to me to understand what the heck was going on but H.P. Lovecraft has written some 
pretty scary stories. And in fact, a few of his protégés or his counterparts, other writers from the 1920s and 30s, took some of his ideas and he, he allowed it and they wrote their own stories that took place within the Cthulhu mythos. For example, Robert E. Howard, the famous creator of Conan the Barbarian, he was a friend of Lovecraft and he wrote a bunch of stories that took place within the Cthulhu mythos, as well as another author named August Derleth, and he also wrote several stories within the Cthulhu mythos. And it just, this whole universe, it's sort of, I guess you could call it a shared universe. They didn't really call it that back then, but it just, it's so uh, vast and fun and scary all at the same time. So for your reading pleasure this week, check out the works of H.P. Lovecraft and then check out Robert E. Howard, who... By the way, his Conan books are really good, and we'll do a whole other show on on authors and stuff. Again, I just wanted to kind of, you know, throw these things out there for the first episode, see what sticks, and go from there. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. We're now just one minute away from the beginning of our next feature. For your convenience, our refreshment stand will remain open after the feature begins so you still have time to add to the fun of watching the movie. Before we begin our next feature, we'd like to remind you to replace your speaker before leaving the theater. If it is accidentally damaged, please notify someone at the refreshment stand. Again, thank you for coming out to the drive-in tonight. As you leave, please drive carefully and come back soon. Okay, so for our final segment here on this special episode of Then Is Now, um, I'm going to discuss what I consider to be actually a silver lining in this whole pandemic thing, and that is the resurgence, uh, the revival of the drive-in movie theater. Now, a lot of, in fact, I think most indoor theaters are closed. There's only one or two around me. I live in Maine, but we still have you know a lot of theaters around us. Uh, there's only one or two that are open. In fact, one of them is a cinema pub, which is an indoor theater where you you go you sit down for the movie, you order your food, and then they bring it out before the film begins. Drive-in theaters are even much more fun. And if you've never been to a drive-in, you need to seek out your local drive-in theater and take your family, take your friends, whoever wants to go with you. It's it's just a blast. So for many of you across the country who live in warmer climates, drive-ins are open year-round. People like us who live in New England, or like myself, um, they're seasonal. And unfortunately, this being October, many of the drive-ins have since closed for the season. I think, I believe one is still actually open doing uh, late-night horror movies. And uh, they'll be open, I believe, through the end of October. And we're hoping to get the owner of that particular drive-in. It's called the Pride's Corner Drive-In. We're hoping to get him onto the show as well as other drive-in theater owners. Now, just to give you, for those who may not be aware, a little backstory of the drive-in theater. In 1933, a guy named Richard Hollingshead, who was a uh, general sales manager for his father's auto parts company, he created the world's first official drive-in movie theater after he was awarded the patent the year before, in 1932. The drive-in is the ultimate marriage of America's two greatest loves, cars and movies. And just to explain it a little further for those who may not know, a drive-in is an outdoor movie theater where you pull into a spot in front of the screen and enjoy movies either sitting in your car or in front of the car on lawn chairs. It used to be when you pulled up to the spot, there were posts with speakers on them, and you took the speaker off the post and you hooked it on your, your either driver's side or passenger side window, and the sound was never always that great on it. But since the 80s, most drive-ins have been broadcasting the audio for the films 
on FM frequency. And it's a localized frequency, so I mean, you could, you probably could drive, leave the theater, and hear the end credits music playing for about another mile or two before it just kind of stops. The drive-ins reached their heyday around 1958 with over 4,000 of them across the country. It was an inexpensive alternative to indoor cinema where you could bring the whole family for a fun night out. And it still is to this day. And sadly, when you had the advent of color TV, cable, VCRs, and video rentals, along with rising property taxes and seasonal challenges, a lot of drive-ins went out of business and the drive-ins started to decline, reaching their lowest point around 1985. But since then, most of the drive-ins that survived are still thriving. Some have even added additional screens. And, you know, with this whole COVID pandemic thing happening, because like I said earlier, the indoor theaters have been shut down, the drive-ins have been reopened and they were opened at least around here at the beginning of the summer and they're doing well. Uh, this particular drive-in that, well, in Maine, we have three. We have uh, up north is one called the Bridgeton Twin, which means they have two screens. Then uh, there's the Sacco Drive-In, which is the closest to where I live. That's got one screen in Sacco, Maine. And then uh, a little further north of that is the Pride's Corner Drive-In, which is in Westbrook, Maine. It's kind of a borough of Portland, Maine. The Pride's Corner Drive-In is awesome because the owner really cares. It's a one-screen drive-in. The owner really cares about his customers. Uh, the whole situation for going to the drive-in is a little different. You have to wear a mask. You, uh, and some of them you can't go into the snack bars. Um, and the Pride's Corner Drive-In, he's also playing, he was playing midnight horror movies. Uh, over the past summer, I saw The Thing at midnight. I saw The Shining, Evil Dead 2, and uh, a couple of others that they've been playing. I think they even played Basket Case, but I, I couldn't get to that one. Um, that was a treat. That was an absolute fun treat to, to go to see a midnight show of a horror movie under the stars, it was really warm out, and just enjoy uh, a great scary movie. So uh, I just want to put this out there for you people. We're going to talk in the future, again, more about drive-in movie theaters, but I think especially those of you who live in a warmer climate, if you can find them, if you can get to them, I mean, the ones that are close to me, when I say close, like the, the closest one is like 40 minutes away, and then the next one's about an hour, and then the furthest one is an hour and a half. There's a couple of drive-ins in Massachusetts. There's the, um, the Menden Drive-In in Menden, Mass, which is owned by a couple guys uh, called the Andelman Brothers, and they run a TV show called The Phantom Gourmet, which might just be a local Boston TV show, but they've been doing a lot of things with their drive-in. They have had... Uh, They've had carnivals show up during the day. They'll do live concerts. In fact, a lot of the drive-ins lately have been doing live concerts. You know, broadcast. So, so the concert's happening somewhere, and they broadcast it to these theaters, and they play them on the screen. So you can go and watch the drive-in, you know, uh, a concert on a drive-in screen. A lot of little drive-ins have kind of popped up, unofficial ones, not really ones where there are drive-ins year-round, but I noticed that a lot of, um, I believe a lot of Walmarts have turned part of this, I guess one of the sides of their building into a drive-in screen and they're showing movies. There are restaurants that are doing the same thing on the back side of the building. They set up like an inflatable screen and they'll have live concerts or they'll show movies. And I, it's just a totally different experience. Now, it's really kind of sad because the indoor theaters have been declining quite rapidly up until COVID. And it's, I think it's going to be hard for them to come back from this for, for at least a while. So it's going to be limited. I, I would imagine, you know, you're going to have to wear a mask at least when you first go in. And they're going to have to cordon off a bunch of chairs so that nobody's, you know, people aren't sitting next to strangers, that sort of thing. It's kind of sad that we're seeing indoor theaters go away because there's something to be said about the shared experience of going to, whether it's an action movie, a horror movie, or a comedy, and just enjoying those moments with a group of people, a group of like-minded people who are interested in, in the film itself. And... Uh, the the drive-in theater takes that to a whole different level because, you know, you could, we do, I, I'm a professional drive-in goer, just so you know. We bring lawn chairs and a folding table and just everything that we'll need, maybe blankets for people who get cold, that sort of thing, and a, you know, large boom box and just listen to the movie. We saw Empire Strikes Back at the drive-in recently. We, we actually saw the new Bill and Ted's movie at the drive-in. It was playing nowhere else except uh, at the drive-ins or on demand. And 
I'm not big on Hollywood releasing theatrical films to on-demand on the same day. I understand why they're doing it now because of the pandemic, but it's it's just so much more fun to go and experience a movie with a group of people. And when you're sitting under the stars watching a movie, there's I'm not even doing it justice. You really have to experience it. So I urge everyone out there who can hear my, the sound of my voice to grab your kids, grab your wife, your husband, your your nieces, your nephews, your uncles, your friends, anybody that will go with you and just go and experience the drive-in. A lot of people I've met have never been to the drive-in and it blows my mind because when I grew up, there were drive-ins in almost every town around. And again, because of property taxes and with TV and cable and all that, uh, it kind of put a dent in the whole movie-going experience, particularly of the drive-ins. And the drive-ins have sort of been looked down upon by Hollywood for quite a long time. When Hollywood turned, or switched, I should say, from showing their movies on actual film and switching over to a digital format, they basically said to the drive-ins, well, if you can't afford digital projectors, then maybe you shouldn't be in business. And that, to me, is just an asinine thing to do. I think Hollywood was really horrible treated the drive-ins horribly, and now it looks like the drive-ins may be the savior of Hollywood. So I hope Hollywood turns around and gets on their hands and knees and begs the drive-ins to play their movies, especially, again, the ones in the warmer climate, because they can open movies all year round in those areas. So uh, that's my spiel. I'll, I'll, I'll stop my spiel here, but I really highly, highly recommend if you've never been to the drive-in, you need to go. And if you have been to the drive-in, yes, they're still out there. And in fact, they're doing very well. So, uh, like I said, get everyone together and get out there, bring a boombox, bring some lawn chairs, and go sit under the stars and watch a great movie. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you. Okay, well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Then Is Now. I hope uh, you enjoyed it. I hope you um, didn't mind me monologuing. Usually I have a um, co-host of some kind, but decided to venture out. Everyone's busy. Everyone, life is a little crazy these days. Again, uh, not to blame everything on the pandemic, but um, life gets in the way sometimes. So I've decided to kind of go forth and, and do this solo. I'd love your feedback. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the things I've talked about. If there's something that you can think of from your childhood or your past that you think, you know, should be out there that people should know more about, send it to me. You can send us an email at thenisnowpodcast at gmail.com or you can send us an mp3 uh, if you want to talk and we'll play it on the show here. Uh, so we love to read your letters and, and play your audio if that's your choice. I think it would be great fun. I would love to hear feedback and get some discussion going, some lively discussion. Uh, if you want to check out our other shows, we have uh, the East Meets the West podcast, which is the first half of the, of the show we discuss Spaghetti Western, and the second half we discuss a Shaw Brothers Kung Fu film. So check that out. Uh, you can find everything at havenpodcasts.com. That's plural, Haven podcasts with an s.com and uh, check us out we've got a few other shows uh we're we're revamping our cinema enigmatico which is a review of obscure films and uh, we're we're retooling that as we speak and that's it we got a lot going on at havenpodcast.com i've also got my then is now blog which i need to get back up and doing again it's kind of almost i was gonna do a blog actually and i thought of doing this show instead so it seems kind of redundant to do both, but maybe I'll uh, I'll do something that works in tandem with it. And uh, check us out there, and where you can be found on pretty much all the podcast services, uh, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, pretty much everywhere that you can find a podcast, I believe you can find us. So again, tell your friends about Then Is Now Podcasts. If you'd like to go to iTunes and leave us a nice review, that really helps us. And uh, that's it for this week. So we hope you enjoy. Class dismissed.
Hey, Mom. Yes, you. Why fuss and fret about dinner? Why not have it right here? Yes, this drive-in offers everyone in the family a real picnic treat for dinner. We've got delicious sandwiches with all the trimmings and your other dinner favorites, plus whatever you want to drink, hot or cold. Come early before the show starts, or eat while you're being entertained, or at intermission time. So why fuss? Give your family a tasty dinner at this drive-in. <laughs> 